ABC News has just learned that Jeffrey Epstein's former paramour, Ghislaine Maxwell, is now in federal custody. She was arrested in... Her arrest comes nearly a year after Epstein was arrested when he returned to the United States from France. He died by suicide in a Manhattan jail, but federal prosecutors here have never stopped investigating his associates. It was Thursday, July 2nd, about 8.30 a.m. The FBI arresting Maxwell Thursday in New Hampshire. Investigators say that property was carefully purchased in full with cash. When federal authorities opened a new chapter in the saga of Jeffrey Epstein's sexual abuse. Without her, there would be no Epstein, meaning the monster. By arresting the person that federal prosecutors and alleged victims alike say was among his closest associates, Glenn Maxwell. Maxwell played a critical role in helping Epstein to identify, befriend, and groom minor victims for abuse. In some cases, Maxwell participated in the abuse herself. And now, as Maxwell remains in federal custody, she faces six charges related to her exploits with Jeffrey Epstein. But this major development is only the beginning. Where do things go from here? What's next for her case? And what about all those other names associated with Maxwell and Epstein who also face allegations? I think Prince Andrew should be very concerned, yes. I'm Mark Remillard, and in this update episode of Truth and Lies, Jeffrey Epstein, we detail the criminal case against Glenn Maxwell and what we know about the investigation, as well as the impact this has had on Epstein and Maxwell's alleged victims, who have gotten their hopes up before only to see the rug pulled out from underneath them. Episode 10, One Step Closer to Justice. If you're like me, for the last year, you've been wondering, where in the world is Ghislaine Maxwell? Ghislaine Maxwell had been living out of the public eye since Jeffrey Epstein's arrest and then... Well, last Thursday, we got our answer. Glenn Maxwell had been on a 156-acre rural property in New Hampshire. She had been living, according to the FBI, in a gorgeous home. That's where authorities took her into custody. And there's a lot that we've learned in the last week about how this operation went down. And I want to bring in two of our key reporters on this story, ABC News senior producer James Hill and ABC News senior investigative reporter Aaron Katursky. And let's start with you, Aaron. Set the scene for us there in New Hampshire. What do we know about this property where Maxwell was hiding out, as prosecutors put it? It was, as you said, Mark, a 156-acre property nicknamed Tucked Away in Bradford, New Hampshire. And it wasn't clear how long she had been there. She had not necessarily been in that property in New Hampshire in the whole year since Jeffrey Epstein's uh, arrest and then suicide but had rather uh, been in different parts of the country and maybe even in different parts of the world. And Maxwell would make her first appearance in court later that day. And like all things right now, the hearing had to be adjusted due to COVID-19, right? She actually made her appearance virtually. In fact, uh, if, if she was comfortable with that arrangement, she sure didn't show it. We were told that, that Maxwell was a bit agitated before that hearing by video in, in front of a federal magistrate. And that was uh, just a formality in which she waived her bail hearing in New Hampshire, and it cleared the way for her transfer to New York. Today we announced charges against Ghislaine Maxwell for helping Jeffrey Epstein 
sexually exploit and abuse multiple minor girls from the period of 1994 through 1997. Acting U.S. Attorney Audrey Strauss for the Southern District of New York announced the charges against Maxwell not long after her arrest. She faces six charges in total, four sex crimes charges and two perjury charges. And I want to turn now to ABC News senior producer James Hill, who was our lead reporter on this podcast. And James, we'll get to the perjury charges in a minute, but break down the charges related to sexual abuse for us first. According to the uh, the federal indictment, she's she's got four counts uh, related to uh, enticing minors to travel to engage in illegal sex acts. And it involves three unnamed minor victims uh, that were alleged to have been uh, recruited and groomed by Maxwell and Epstein. What the government alleges about Maxwell is that she was the one who uh, enticed them, who groomed them and normalized sexual activity for these young girls. Maxwell would encourage these young girls to accept offers from Epstein to pay for their travel and their education, making these young victims feel indebted to Jeffrey Epstein. According to the indictment, uh, she would attempt to normalize sexual abuse for these minor girls uh, by discussing sexual topics, uh, by undressing in front of her um, and being present while the victim was undressed. Maxwell played a critical role in helping Epstein to identify a friend and groom minor victims for abuse. In some cases, Maxwell participated in the abuse herself. For the past year, there has been so much attention on Glenn Maxwell and her alleged role in Epstein's abuse. And James, besides now facing criminal charges, she's still facing multiple civil suits as well. Uh, there are three civil lawsuits against Epstein's estate, which also name Glenn Maxwell as a co-defendant. And one of those suits is from Annie Farmer, who uh, we heard from in this podcast uh, earlier this year. Yeah, when I first met Gillian, she was instantly engaging in conversation. And You'll remember Annie Farmer, the woman who says when she was 16 years old, she was invited to come out to Jeffrey Epstein's ranch in New Mexico. Uh, with the expectation that this was going to be some sort of uh, group meeting for high achieving students that uh, Epstein and Maxwell were interested in supporting in their studies. Uh, but when she gets there, there is no group meeting of high achieving students. It's just Annie and Maxwell and Epstein. And so when I got to the ranch and it wasn't as it had been described, I think that, you know, I didn't, it wasn't an immediate alarm. It was just sort of, okay, I guess, you know, this is somewhat different than what I, I must have misunderstood. And much the same way prosecutors say Glenn Maxwell would groom victims for Jeffrey Epstein, Annie Farmer tells us and details in her lawsuit that during the trip, Maxwell took her shopping and was friendly to her. She seemed very confident. So as a young woman, she really, I, I looked up to her as you know, maybe an older sister type. You know, I think I was, I was really enamored with the way that she presented herself. But Annie tells us and claims in her lawsuit that that friendliness gave way to uncomfortable conversations about sex and eventually insistence that she give Jeffrey Epstein a foot massage. She had one foot and I had the other foot. 
And she, you know, kind of showing me very specifically how to rub his feet. And I was, you know, of course, this was not in line with what my expectations were for how we'd be interacting. But they also had this sort of playful way that they would approach things that, you know, like we're just silly and this is what we do. And um, it, it made you feel like if you weren't to go along with something like this, like what's your problem? Why wouldn't you do something like this? This is really a normal thing to do, right? Of course you rub your friend's feet. And as she says in her lawsuit, Maxwell allegedly gave her a massage, something Annie says she was very uncomfortable with. So I was laying on my stomach to start. And then at some point she has me turn over to my back. And then at some point she just takes the sheet down. So, you know, and I wasn't wearing a bra. And so she, you know, exposed my breasts. And, but it's just proceeding as if this is all like a normal thing. She, you know, touches me around my chest, but not, again, it was like blurring the boundaries of, is this, is what's happening here normal or not normal? I. I don't have no point of reference for this. I'm not, like, I feel uncomfortable. I feel like Epstein can probably see me right now. I just felt uneasy, but did it. If Epstein had been suggesting that, I would have been clearly alarmed. But I felt more comfortable because, um, you know, because she was a woman. While the focus has been on Glenn Maxwell for some time now, James, She's been really under the radar. Uh, in fact, there were attorneys who said that they couldn't even find Maxwell to serve her with their lawsuits. Nobody knew where she was. Clearly, many, many reporters were looking for her, but none found her. Uh, the three lawsuits that were filed against her, the lawyers searched high and low for her for months before they finally, you know, asked the court, you know, can... Can you make her lawyer take this lawsuit and tell her about it and give us an answer? Maxwell has not yet entered a plea to these criminal charges, but uh, in all cases, when she has been sued uh, in civil lawsuits, uh, she has uh, always maintained that she had no participation uh, in any sexual abuse or trafficking or assault. And getting back to the criminal charges that she's now facing, she's also charged with perjury. and. Tell us about what this stems from. It, it comes from testimony she gave a few years back, correct? Those two charges are related to depositions that Maxwell sat for uh, in a civil case in 2016. I mean, the prosecutors essentially got a hold of the transcripts of these depositions, went through them, found what they consider to be false testimony, and charged it with perjury. In all, prosecutors said in court filings that Maxwell could face up to 35 years in prison. And as we've mentioned, Maxwell has yet to enter a plea in court. But on Thursday, her attorneys in a separate civil case against her provided their first official response to the criminal charges she faces, calling it a, quote, meritless indictment. Maxwell's arrest comes one year since the indictment against Jeffrey Epstein was signed that led to his arrest. But one of the things that I think a lot of people are wondering is, is what have investigators been doing for the last year leading up to Maxwell's arrest? At least initially, we know prosecutors were focused on Jeffrey Epstein himself. But the story of Epstein and his alleged sex trafficking enterprise did not end with his suicide in jail. 
for the last year, we know prosecutors have focused on what victims have described as his ring of enablers. And Ghislaine Maxwell has always been at the top of that list. And so Ghislaine Maxwell was never really far from, from prosecutors' minds. Now, whether they could bring a case was going to be another matter. There are statute of limitations issues, and so it's noteworthy that this indictment charges crimes that only involve minor victims because that's how prosecutors get around the statute of limitations issues. And, and they had to, to go back you know, more than 25 years. So it took them a long time to build the case, but especially after Epstein died, uh, prosecutors quickly shifted their focus to others in his orbit. Uh, and Ghislaine Maxwell was certainly the highest profile one of those. Prosecutors were looking at Ghislaine Maxwell's bank transactions, and they saw that in, in recent cases, she was able to move sizable amounts of money, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, they didn't reveal where they think that money came from, whether it was Epstein or, or something else. But Ghislaine Maxwell apparently had and, and still may have access to substantial um, financial resources, according to prosecutors. Even with all the um, detail that the government says they have been able to determine about her finances or what they allege about her finances, uh, they still say that uh, although her resources appear to be substantial, uh, that her total financial picture they describe as opaque and indeterminate. And Aaron, do we have a sense of what this means for the case that was brought against Epstein last year? You know, in 2019, they charged Epstein as part of a conspiracy. And it seems noteworthy that these charges against Maxwell appear entirely unrelated from the charges against Epstein. The way prosecutors see it, Ghislaine Maxwell's alleged crimes that are laid out in the indictment are the precursor to Jeffrey Epstein. So if he is the, the, the main story, she's the prequel, in a sense. And uh, prosecutors said that without her... Jeffrey Epstein may not have been able to be the predator that he's alleged to have become because it was Maxwell who was in from the beginning in recruiting especially minor victims into Jeffrey Epstein's lurid orbit. Prosecutors officially say their investigation continues, and it's certainly possible that others who were involved in Epstein's, you know, uh, sex trafficking enterprise, as prosecutors have called it, would also themselves uh, face criminal charges. Prosecutors aren't done looking. Some folks don't stop searching till they find the truth. If you've got a detective's eye, June's Journey is the game for you. Play as June Parker in a gripping murder mystery as you find hidden objects to help solve her sister's death. You'll hunt for clues in hundreds of beautifully illustrated scenes set in the roaring 20s. New chapters are added weekly. Find your first clue by downloading June's Journey today. Available on Android and iOS mobile devices, as well as on PC through Facebook games. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. 
1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts. Just as with Epstein's arrest, Glenn Maxwell's came as a shock to her accusers as well as Epstein's. Brad Edwards and Sigrid McCauley represent some of Epstein's victims. It was a wonderful moment in my journey with these survivors to be able to call them and tell them that the one person who's been out in the public without being held accountable was finally in prison. So it, it is a real long time coming, but, but the same way that I felt when Jeffrey Epstein was arrested, it's better late than never. And it's more important that the truth and the whole truth comes out and that the victims and survivors are able uh, to see the people that, that helped to facilitate these activities held accountable the way any other American would or should be. But Maxwell's and Epstein's accusers have been down this road before. Following Epstein's arrest, survivors had reason to be hopeful only for him to die by suicide a little more than a month after his arrest. And so as many of his accusers had waited years to see him brought to justice, only two of them would ever get the chance to confront him in court. That's Annie Farmer and Courtney Wilde, who we heard from in previous episodes of this podcast. For the first time, I get to see him face to face, the person who sexually abused me and all my friends for years, multiple years. For the first time, he's in federal custody. He's in handcuffs. I had the opportunity to speak at Jeffrey Epstein's bail hearing. I'm so sorry that others will not have the opportunity to stand before him the way that I did. And so with Maxwell's arrest, James, it's a moment for reserved optimism, yes? I think, obviously, there for the survivors, for the alleged victims, it's another moment of, for optimism. It's another moment where they feel as if um, their stories their, are being believed and validated. But, you know, certainly they're, they're not ready to celebrate. You know, I mean, there may be some, there's always going to be, given the history of this case, there's always going to be that nagging sense of what's going to happen next. Is this really going to happen now? Epstein's death came as a shock, not long after an earlier suicide attempt and just days after he was removed from Suicide Watch. And it only helped fuel conspiracies and memes that Epstein didn't kill himself. And I want to bring in Luke Barr. He's a reporter with ABC News who covers the Justice and Homeland Security Departments. And Luke, what do we know about where Maxwell will be held? So, Gillian Maxwell will be held at uh, the Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn, New York, uh, across the river from the Metropolitan Correction Center where Jeffrey Epstein uh, died by suicide last August. Uh, it is a facility that is primarily used to 
hold inmates that are waiting, awaiting trial. It is not a penitentiary. It is not a federal prison. Uh, it is merely just a place where it's a jail. It's basically like your county jail, except on the federal level. And we still have ABC News senior investigative reporter Aaron Katursky with us. And Aaron, do we know why she's being held at the Metropolitan Detention Center instead of the Metropolitan Correctional Center where Epstein was? We never got a formal reason from the Bureau of Prisons, which doesn't really talk about how they make different decisions. But, Mark, it's certainly possible they just did not want us talking about how Ghislaine Maxwell was being held, even temporarily, in the same place where Jeffrey Epstein died by suicide. Remember, two guards faced federal charges following Epstein's suicide for doctoring the logs and making it look like they had done their appointed rounds when they didn't. And so the the Bureau of Prisons may just have wanted to avoid that linkage. We should mention as well that the two guards have pleaded not guilty to the charges against them. Now, Luke and Aaron, the two of you broke the news last year of Epstein's death at the Metropolitan Correctional Center. And as we've mentioned, that is not where Glenn Maxwell is being held. But, you know, like it or not, it's hard to escape questions about how Maxwell will be watched while she's in custody. Do we know anything about that? I mean, I assume that she's a high priority. Yeah, Mark. So two federal law enforcement sources uh, told me that they, she was given paper uh, clothes and, and they stripped her sheets. Uh, but it's not known uh, if she's on suicide watch or not. Uh, but, you know, authorities just want to be cautious about what exactly and how they're taking care of her. Uh, they say that my, my sources have told me that it's standard procedure to give high profile inmates or new inmates uh, special attention. Uh, but one source told me that the, the BOP is going to great measures to ensure Maxwell's security and safety. Uh, but the Federal Bureau of Prisons uh, main headquarters in Washington, D.C., when I reached out to him, they declined to comment on the record on Maxwell's condition. There is no doubt, Mark, there is pressure on the Bureau of Prisons to keep Ghislaine Maxwell alive after, frankly, the Bureau was embarrassed by the suicide of, of Jeffrey Epstein, and it exposed chronic understaffing within the Bureau of Prisons and uh, I, I think woke a lot of people up to uh, you know, just rampant uh, problems that exist in the nation's federal prisons. It, it led to a change at the top. And Luke, as we've mentioned, MDC is not MCC, but as you've been researching, the lockup where Maxwell will be held has had its fair share of issues, correct? It has. You know, in, in January of 2019, the Bureau of Prisons left almost 1,700 inmates in below freezing temperatures at MDC after a fire earlier in the year. Uh, the, but the Justice Department concluded the fire had nothing to do with the actual power outage. Instead, there was longstanding issues at the uh, facility. And now that's just one of uh, many issues. You know, earlier this year, an inmate was pepper sprayed uh, and then eventually died at MDC in his cell. Uh, you know, sources have told me that it's it's common practice to do that. The inmate was this. My, one of my sources told me that one of the inmates, the inmate was unruly uh, and they had to pepper spray him. And then, of course, there was 12 covid uh, cases at the facility, something that federal uh, prison authorities are very concerned about running throughout the prison system. But 12 at one facility in New York is is pretty dangerous. But the big question right now is whether Maxwell will stay in custody as she awaits trial. When Epstein was arrested, 
It took multiple hearings before a judge decided to keep him in custody. A federal judge ruling this morning that Jeffrey Epstein will remain behind bars while he fights the sex trafficking charges against him. The well-connected... And one of the first fights that will play out in court is the issue of whether Maxwell should stay behind bars. And so, Aaron, federal prosecutors have already laid out their reasons why they say she should stay put. Ghislaine Maxwell apparently had and and still may have access to substantial um, financial resources, according to prosecutors. And that's one of the reasons why they think she is a substantial risk of flight. Remember, she's also a dual citizen of France and the United Kingdom, so she has multiple passports. And, and it's that potential prison sentence that equals, what, about 35 years. And, and for someone of her age, that could amount to a life sentence. That also gives her that incentive to, to potentially flee. Glenn Maxwell's attorneys have yet to file a response to the government's argument that she should stay behind bars. But James, if the past is any indication, it, it seems unlikely that Maxwell will go down without a fight. No, no one can know at this point, other than perhaps Glenn and her legal team, what, in, what she intends to do. Um, all, all indications are based on her prior history in civil cases that she intends to contest these charges. The arrest of Glenn Maxwell is quite likely the biggest development since Epstein's death in the long road that their accusers have traveled in the search for accountability. Glenn Maxwell is innocent until proven guilty and has, in the past, denied any allegations against her. But at 58, she faces the real possibility of spending a significant portion of the rest of her life behind bars. And as Maxwell's case plays out, her arrest is once again reigniting questions about other people in Epstein's orbit. I think Prince Andrew should be very concerned, yes. One of the most prominent figures to be linked to Jeffrey Epstein and his alleged sex trafficking is Prince Andrew, who we discussed in episode five of this podcast. It was through Glenn Maxwell that Jeffrey Epstein met Prince Andrew, and her arrest has now put the spotlight back on Andrew. A bit, um, certainly because that's how Jeffrey Epstein ended up getting to know Prince Andrew and how Prince Andrew ended up in his residence and on his island and put him in the unflattering light that it did, even as the, the royal denies any wrongdoing whatsoever. Andrew's most prominent accuser, Virginia Roberts Jufre, recently spoke with 60 Minutes Australia about Maxwell's arrest. Oh, <laughs> Prince Andrew should be panicking at the moment uh, because Ghislaine doesn't really care about anyone else but Ghislaine. Andrew has not only denied the allegations against him, but as we heard in an interview he did last year with the BBC's Newsnight, he says he doesn't recall meeting Virginia Dufresne. I have no recollection of ever meeting this lady. None whatsoever. You don't remember meeting her? No. Over the last year, federal prosecutors say they've continued to try and get Andrew to sit down for an interview. And following Maxwell's arrest, the acting U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, Audrey Strauss, again offered an invitation. I'm not going to comment on anyone's status in, in, in this investigation, but I will say that we would welcome Prince Andrew coming in to talk with us. We would like to have the benefit of his statement. It's the latest in a series of public back and forth between prosecutors and Andrew's lawyers and representatives. Federal prosecutors say Andrew has been uncooperative. But just this week, Andrew's team said they're, quote, bewildered 
and claimed to have offered two times in the last month to speak with investigators, but they say they've gotten no response. So, Aaron, explain to us, what is going on here? For months, federal prosecutors have been seeking some testimony from Prince Andrew, and they have said that they've made overtures and that Prince Andrew has not been responsive. His legal team certainly sees it differently. They say that the the royal has made offers uh, to cooperate and has um, even reached out to the prosecutors and and kind of the door was slammed in his face. So somewhere in there lies the truth. But it's clear that whatever statement Andrew may be willing to give, prosecutors have not heard it and and may not be satisfied with whatever terms the the prince is talking about. But it's gotten to the point where prosecutors have gone through a formal uh, uh, channel used, you know, th- through the State Department, where they they try to convince the British government to get involved to compel Andrew's testimony, and and we're not sure that that's necessarily going to work. We've been told on multiple occasions Prince Andrew is not a target; uh, that he is only wanted for his knowledge, not because he is facing any potential legal danger himself. Although he may feel that no matter what he gives up, it would be potentially incriminating, and he he wants some assurances that prosecutors aren't willing to give. And there is one more big development in the last week that we wanted to talk about, and that is a settlement between Deutsche Bank and the New York Department of Financial Services. Tonight, Deutsche Bank will now pay $150 million in penalties to New York State for doing business with Jeffrey Epstein, despite what the state calls red flags. The bank- Aaron, what is it that New York regulators are saying about Epstein's relationship with Deutsche Bank? There always had to be a source of money, a pool that Jeffrey Epstein could spread around because, as has been charged criminally and has been described in in civil lawsuits, the the women that were in Jeffrey Epstein's orbit were paid. Some of them were were given tuition. Some of them were just given a few hundred dollars at a clip. Some of them were were, given other things. And we now know that a lot of that money, at least in later years, was uh, through a series of accounts called the Butterfly Trust at Deutsche Bank. The New York State Department of Financial Services has penalized Deutsche Bank for its relationship with Jeffrey Epstein, which they said uh, involved potentially uh, the use of, of money to either cover up or enable new crimes. And the consent order also mentioned how Jeffrey Epstein would burn through about $200,000 a year in cash that was withdrawn from his account by an attorney. The attorney was not named, but when questioned what the money was for, he only gave vague answers, travel, tips, expenses, and financial regulators said they knew that Deutsche Bank knew Jeffrey Epstein was high risk and they should have taken more steps to ask what that cash was really being used for because the concern is it was being used to abuse young women. And now it's worth mentioning here that Epstein's relationship with Deutsche Bank was recent, that it's not like this is going back several decades before it was publicly known what Epstein was doing. He was banking with Deutsche Bank after he was a registered sex offender, correct? The word of his conduct was well established. 
And and Deutsche Bank wasn't necessarily blind to it. Uh, the, the Department of Financial Services here in New York said they had labeled him a high risk client and uh, someone with political connections. And as such, all of his transactions should have been more heavily scrutinized than regulators said they were. Uh, but it, it appears from the consent order that the bank was blinded by the size of of transactions that Epstein was conducting with the bank. And, you know, at, at one point, uh, a bank executive visited Epstein at his uh, mansion on East 71st Street in Manhattan, sat down with him to ask him about some of the, the things he was accused of. And whatever the outcome of that meeting, uh, the relationship between the bank and Epstein continued and and financial regulators were never satisfied that the the bank did all it could to make sure that the money being moved through its accounts was not being used for for criminal purposes and to abuse young women. And so Deutsche Bank agreed to pay $150 million in order to settle these claims. And in a statement to ABC News, Deutsche Bank said that the bank quote deeply regrets its association with Epstein and says that following Epstein's arrest last year, it contacted law enforcement and offered its full assistance with their investigation. It is hard to overstate what a significant development the arrest of Ghislaine Maxwell is for those who claim she played a significant role in Epstein's abuse. It was a monumental day, and my clients are very relieved. You can't overstate her role. Without her... There would be no Epstein. But if there's anybody who knows about all the people uh, that, that Jeffrey Epstein was with and about all the things that went on when he was with them, it has to be Ghislaine Maxwell, because uh, she has been described not only as a, as a girlfriend and companion, but, but also as business manager and kind of his you know, handling of, of day-to-day affairs. But there is a long road ahead for Epstein's victims and Maxwell's accusers. They also know, having gone through this, uh, these many investigations where hope is raised and then dashed, that they, an arrest is a long way from a conviction. And while Maxwell remains in custody for now, investigators say she is still only one piece of the puzzle and there is more work to be done. As Brad Edwards, the attorney for several Epstein survivors, puts it, Maxwell's arrest is, quote, one step closer to justice. The arrest of Glenn Maxwell this month has, I, I think they've proven uh, what they said they were going to do, which was after Jeffrey Epstein was arrested, and particularly after he died in their custody, that they were going to continue to pursue the case and to continue to hold responsible anybody that the government views as uh enabling or participating in Jeffrey Epstein's crimes. We know that there are allegations that there were others. They've made very clear that they intend to keep going. Truth and Lies, Jeffrey Epstein is a production of the ABC News Investigative Unit and ABC Audio, written and hosted by me, Mark Remillard, produced and edited by Susie Liu. Reporting for this podcast is led by senior producer James Hill. Additional reporting by producers Caitlin Fulmer, Pete Madden, as well as senior investigative reporter Aaron Katursky. Associate producer is Emily Rachowski. Mixing and scoring by Evan Viola. 
Special thanks to Betsy Shore, Maria Matasar Padilla, Terry Lickstein, Josh Cohan, Lauren Efron, Stacia Dashishku, and Sandy Evans. Cindy Galley is our Chief of Investigative Projects, and Chris Vlasto is Senior Executive Producer. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. In 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts.